are listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Heights Baptist Church in Alvin, Texas. For more information about our church, you can find us at heightschurch.org. We want to read all the way down to chapter 4 in verse 5. And so as a practice that we have here, when we read sections of the Bible together, we stand in order to honor the reading of God's Word. So I'm going to ask you if you don't mind standing again. We're going to pick up in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. We're going to ask you even at home, uh, go on and stand with us as we read the Word of God together. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, all Scripture is breathed out by God. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 4, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. By his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Verse 3, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. They will have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They will turn away from listening to the truth, and they will wander off into myths. But as for you, be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And this is God's word. You may be seated. You know, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but I'm, I'm sure it has in one of two ways. Uh, you have either sent a text message to someone incorrectly. You typed a message to send to one person that you accidentally sent to someone else, or you've received a text message that was not meant for you. Anybody else but me? All right, several of you. I've done them both, all right? I have accidentally sent something to someone I meant for someone else, and I've received something from somebody that someone meant for something, you know, somebody else as well. Uh, Here is one that I got a couple of years ago. My friend and I still laugh about this. He is not in this church. He does not live in this state, but he listens online often, so I'm not going to say his name to you uh, because we are mutual Facebook friends, and you would also kid him about this. But he sent me a text one day that was meant clearly for his wife. And he texted me on my way to the grocery store to get bread. What else do we need? I love you. (laughs) I quickly responded, and I said, we are out of Dr. Pepper. Please hurry, and I love you too. (laughs) In communication, there is a sender, there is a receiver, and there is a message. Paul is the sender of this letter, Timothy is the receiver of the letter, and the message throughout the letter that Paul has been writing Timothy simply can be put like this. You have to have grit in the Christian life. Grit means to have confidence. Grit means to have courage. Grit means to continue to press on even in difficult times. This is what Paul has been telling Timothy all through the letter, that when the going gets tough, the disciple of Jesus Christ just keeps going. You have to have grit. Even in a world where there is government oppression like Timothy had, where you have false teachers all around, where you're dealing with personal problems, continue to press on in your relationship with Jesus Christ. In this portion of the letter, Paul now is encouraging Timothy to do something that is still relevant to you and I. That the message still rings true, that the ministry is for me and the ministry is for you. It is this, 
make disciples, share the word of God. And if you think about our context, our context is not far off from the Timothy and Paul context, that they still were dealing with things that we are dealing with, but maybe just slightly a little bit different. But there's good news. And the text will show us this good news this morning as we move through it in this, that in complex times, there's still simple truths to share. That in complex times, there are simple truths that you and I can share, believe in, and live out. He starts off first with the word in which we proclaim. Verse 16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God. We see this simple truth that all scripture is breathed out by God. Now, when Paul writes that and he uses the word all, does he mean all? Is he talking about all scripture? Now, at this point in his writing, you have the whole Old Testament. You have Genesis through Malachi that's pretty much universally uh, said, yes, this is the word of God. But we know Paul is still writing portions of the New Testament. There's still portions of the New Testament to be written when he's writing this letter to Timothy. So does all mean all? Well, I believe it does. And the reason I believe it does is because verse 16 tells us that Scripture is breathed out by God, or it's God-breathed. And what's amazing about the Bible is when you stop and think about this, you have 40 different authors of the Bible that writes the Bible over a couple of thousand years span of time. You have different people who write the Bible as far as you have kings, you have fishermen, you have shepherds, you have a doctor, you have a tax collector. They're written on different continents. They're written in different languages. But the men who wrote the Bible knew they were writing God's word. Listen to this. The Pentateuch claims Uh, 680 claims of divine inspiration. The historical books in the Old Testament, there's 418 claims of divine inspiration. The poetic books of the Bible, there's 195 claims of divine inspiration. The prophetic books in the Bible, there's 1,307 claims of divine inspiration. In the New Testament, there are at least 1,000 references of the Old Testament declaring or implying that it is the Word of God. So when these men were writing the Word of God, they knew they were writing the Word of God, that it is God-breathed. But notice this God-breathed book that we have, these words that God has allowed us to have. Notice what it says in verse 16. It says it is profitable for us. It is useful, your translation might say. It is good for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. And notice the reason for proclamation, the reason we proclaim the word of God in these complex times, these simple truths of God's word, it's good for us, verse 16 says. It is profitable. It is useful. But drop down to verse 17, that the man of God, the person of God, may be complete, Equipped for every good work. That word complete means mature. That every person of God can be complete, mature in Christ. It is good for you. It is profitable for you. It helps you know how to live out your faith in Jesus. It helps you grow to be more like Christ. This is what God's breathed book does for us. Now, if I ask you kind of individually, if you have a high view of Scripture, meaning you would agree with what I just said, 
I'm sure in a group setting, many of you would raise your hand and say, yes, we believe that it is the Word of God. Yes, we believe it is God-breathed. I've had one-on-one conversations with you. I'm sure many of you would, would say the same thing. I'm sure many of you watching at home today would click that like button if I ask you to. Is this God's breathed book? So if we say yes, if we say yes, this is God's breathed book, if we say yes, this is the word of God, if we say yes, this is important, if we say yes, the Bible is good for us, we say yes, this helps us in our lives, if we say yes, this helps us to be more like Christ, then why don't we read it? Then why did research show in 2000, or 2020, excuse me, during this pandemic, Christians in reading their Bibles dropped? Why do we spend not as much time in God's Word as we ought? Why did when God say, we're going to slow you down, put you in your homes, clear out some distractions, Did we not come to the book? Why did research show more and more Christians' Bible reading drop this year if we say we have a high view of Scripture? Well, we're busy, right? I mean, wouldn't that what we would say? We don't have 15, 20 minutes a day to sit down to to read the Bible. We're busy. And sure, we are. We're, We're busy with a lot of things. I'm sure you were busy to find out the score of your college football game last night. I mean, you, you, you had time to watch SportsCenter, right? Maybe you had time to check Twitter. You, 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 ran, you ran through your Facebook memories this morning. I mean, we, we do all of those things. But why do we neglect the Word of God if it is God's Word? Why do we neglect setting aside 15, 20 minutes a day constantly to get in His Word? Is one of the reasons revival in America tarries because Christians just don't read His Word? Is one of the reasons you're not seeing the change in your life you're praying for is because you're not in His Word? Is one of the reasons you're not seeing God answer the prayer request you're praying is because you're not in His Word? word. We have a word to proclaim. We have a word that is good for us. We can come, we can communicate simple truths in complex times, and we see now the method in which we proclaim this word that is his, that is good. We have a method of proclamation. Notice what he says in verse one, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. I love that phrase, in the presence of God. It it means one who is in sight. We live in the sight of God. We live in his presence. Now, I'm going to give you a Christmas illustration, so hang in there with me. Don't get mad, because I know we haven't cleared Thanksgiving yet. But in our home, we have this discussion every year of when to start decorating for Christmas. I am one traditionally that likes you clear Thanksgiving before you start thinking about Christmas. And every year I'm like, no, we need to wait till Thanksgiving is over before we start decorating. And it's a conversation we have every year. I am told tomorrow we are decorating for Christmas. Growing up, 
my father for Christmas every year would get a box of chocolate-covered cherries. The Brock's box of chocolate-covered cherries. My dad loved them every year. We all waited with great anticipation to see his reaction when he would open the box of chocolate-covered cherries. Now, in the people's home, we do not kid around about our sweets. We take our desserts and candies very seriously. And my dad, you could not eat one of his cherries without his permission. I kid you not, the man counted the cherries before he went to bed to make sure as he put them back in the refrigerator, we did not sneak one out. He was serious. He loved those cherries. I don't remember the age this happened. I just remembered I was in elementary school based on the house in which we lived. We lived on a split level house at that point. And you could stand at the top of the stairs and you could see down into the kitchen. It was night. It was late. Everyone was in their rooms. And I was at the refrigerator. And I opened the refrigerator and it was like a heavenly glow just came out. There were the cherries. And I don't know, the voice in me said, eat one. Eat a cherry. It'll be okay. So I looked to my right, I looked to my left, I looked behind me. No one was around. I popped a cherry in my mouth. And man, it was good. Some told me inside, as I ate that cherry, eat another. It'll be okay. Eat another. It'll be okay. I looked to my right, I looked to my left, I looked behind me. No one was around. I popped another cherry in my mouth, and that was better than the first one. Little did I know that at the top of the stairs, I was in the presence of my father. <laughs> that my father, according to verse 1, was looking down upon me. David writes in Psalm 139, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? We live under the gaze of God. We live in his presence. This one who is coming back to judge the living and the dead is watching us now. We do not escape his presence in our lives. And this is the one who has given us his word that is good for us, that has charged us to communicate in these complex times simple truths through this message, verse 2, preach the word. The word preached there means to proclaim, it means to, uh, to share, it means to herald, it means to preach. When we preach and we share God's word, we are declaring a message. We are heralding a message. We are sharing a message. What is the message we are sharing in these complex times? It's these simple truths. There is a God. He is the creator. This creator, God, Romans 1, tells us to create all life, and we're all accountable to him. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 tells us that we have all sinned against this creator. In Romans 3.23, for we have all fallen short of the glory of God. We have all missed his mark. We have sinned against the one who has created us and we are accountable to. Because of our sin, Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. What we earn because of our sin is death. What we earn is spiritual death. What you earn and I earn because of sin is hell forever. We earn his judgment. 
We earn separation from him. We earn his wrath. That is the bad news of Romans 6.23, part A, but part B of the verse is good news. But the free gift of eternal life is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now you may be like me. And at times think, well, wait a minute, I have sinned against this one who has created me. And yes, I have earned that death. Yes, I have earned that hell. But there's no way that God could love someone like me. Well, Romans 5, 8 tells us this, that God does love us well. That he has demonstrated his own love toward us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died on the cross. And in these complex times, we have a simple message to proclaim. We have a simple message to preach. We have a simple message to herald. It's Romans 10, 13. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is good news, amen? That is the gospel. That is what we share as a simple truth in complex times. We preach this word. I ask first service this. I'll ask you this as well. What do we want to be known for as a church? Because you'll be known for something in the communities around you. No church is never not known for anything. You will always be known for something. I would love for us as a church to be known as a gospel proclaiming and a gospel inviting church. That we proclaim the gospel and we are constantly inviting people to hear this good news that I just went over with you. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's why we say one of our purposes here at Heights is to be a sharing church. We don't want to just be people who know good news. We want to share good news. That's why we do things like the 1040 invite challenge why we have a a four-by-four plan, why we put these cards out, and we we encourage you, let us know who you've invited maybe to one of our services or to watch online. You know, I love during the weeks when you guys maybe email me or call me or text me, and you say, hey, I just got a chance to invite this person. Just had a chance to have a gospel conversation with this person. Would Would you pray for this person? You know, this week I got one of those texts. It was from one of our members who said, I was just down at the new museum and got to talking to somebody and got a chance to invite them uh, into into one of the services soon and got a chance to invite them to our life group. You know, what was funny is when I told that story in first service, a guy's hand out in the back went up like this. And I thought, all right, either that's the guy or he has a question. I'm confused, right? But I got a chance to meet him afterwards and his name was Sam. And he said, yeah, I was that guy. I was that guy that came. I was that guy that that person invited. That's why we encourage you, have a four by four. Take four people in your life that you, don't, that you know, that don't know Jesus as their savior, family, friends, coworkers, neighbors, whoever they are. Pray for them. Pray to know that they come to know Christ as their savior. And you let us know so we can pray for you as well. But how are we to do this? How are we to take God's breathed out word that is good for us, that we have a commission and a charge in the presence of God, the one who's coming back to judge the living and the dead? How do we proclaim? How do we herald? How do we share this message in a complex world? Notice verse 2. Here's how we do it. We're ready in season, out of season. We reprove, we rebuke, we exhort with complete, say it with me, Patience. Complete patience. What's the one item in your life that you constantly lose? You have that thing? 
You're supposed to put it in a certain spot, but you constantly lose it. Is it keys, cell phone charger, earbud? What is the thing that you constantly lose? You know what I found out about with patience? That patience is hard to keep and it's easy to lose. Patience is easy to lose in our lives. We know, we know we're supposed to have it. We know we're supposed to keep it. We know we're supposed to know where it is at all costs, but patience is easy to lose. But how are we to operate? How are we to minister? How are we to share? How are we to love people? What does it say in verse 2? With patience. You know, that person you're praying for, that four by four, the person you're having the gospel conversation with, it takes patience. You know, sometimes it's the fifth time someone hears the gospel before they come to know Christ. The tenth time, the twentieth time, the fiftieth time. Rarely does someone come to know Jesus the very first time they hear about him. We're to operate with patience. How about when we're teaching one another? How about when we're exhorting one another? How about when we're teaching each other the gospel? How are we to operate with each other? With patience. Why? Because it's hard to become more like Christ. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes work. It's not easy. Let's show patience with others as God is patient with us. But as we have this word, this God-breathed-out book that we, is good for us, that we are charged to share with others, notice the person who proclaims it, verses 3 through 5. It says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. They'll have inchy ears. They'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Let's not be verses three through four people. Let's, let's, let's turn from that type of attitude and action. But notice verse five is, as Paul's calling Timothy and me and you, here's how we're to operate in this way to be these type of people. As for you, be sober-minded. Sober-minded means there to keep your head in all situations. It says to endure suffering, have grit, do the work of the evangelist, and fulfill your ministry as we share simple truths in complex times. It says be level-headed. You know, endure suffering, have, have grit. It's not always going to be easy. Do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Now, oftentimes when people hear the phrase, do the work of evangelists, they go, ah, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. I'm off the hook. Thank you. Well, let me explain what Paul means by the gift of an evangelist or do the work of an evangelist. Yes, there is a gift of evangelism. Case in point, I would point to you, Billy Graham would have the gift of evangelism. Billy Graham could stand in front of a room full of people and say, come to Jesus, and whoosh, Everybody comes. But we are all called to make disciples. We are all called to evangelize. Just because we might say, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism off the hook from that God. No, 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 no. Remember verse 1. We are living under the appearance of God. We are living in his presence. The one who's coming back to judge the living and the dead. Just preach the word. Do the work of evangelist. Doesn't mean you have to have the gift of evangelism. I do not consider myself having the gift of evangelism. Now, I do the work of an evangelist. I share the gospel when I can. I invite people to church. I share the word of God. But I am the one that I joke around that I am taking a jackhammer into heaven with me. And the reason being is the people I often meet and have a chance to share the gospel with one-on-one -on -one are the hardest people you're going to meet. 
There are people who have never heard about the Lord, or there are people who are just so broken and fallowed and angry with the Lord. That's the type of people God gives me. Case in point, it is Hurricane Katrina cleanup time. I'm with Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We have a team down there in the Ninth Ward doing uh, mud outs and repairing homes in New Orleans. Among our team for the week, as we're working on the people's homes and, and you know, work is being done, I was assigned as the team leader at some point in the day to have the conversation with the family members about Jesus. I still don't know as it was because I was the one that always liked to talk or if I'm not good with tools. <laughs> Both are true. And maybe that's why they gave me the job. Haley, at some point in the day, go talk to people about Jesus because you're not good with tools and you like to talk. But I'm talking to a guy that uh, we're working on his home. He was in the Superdome during the storm. Uh, he was a gang member. And we're trying, I'm just trying my best to talk about Jesus. Talk about Jesus. I mean, keep sidetracking the conversation. Keep sidetracking. But uh, trying to get this conversation around to the gospel over and over and over. Finally, he looks at me and he says, I wrote a rap about my time in the Superdome. Would you like to hear it? Not really, but I need to keep this conversation going. <laughs> sure, I'll hear your rap. As he's rapping this to me, I turn to my right, and over to my right is Audrey Mills. Audrey was the daughter of the pastor of the church that Sandra and I were going to at the time, and actually I taught Audrey in high school. Audrey had the gift of evangelism. Audrey, the sweet girl, she's all of about five, five-ish, and she has this six, four gang member man in tears across the street from me. It was this guy's brother. I knew what was happening across the street. This guy was coming to know Jesus. And this guy that is in front of me is like, I'm finished with my rap and I'm ready to go. Let me go get my brother. No, no, no. Something's happening over here. Not much is happening here. But we're going to keep talking. So I said... You heard a, you know, I listened to your rap. I don't li really listen to rap, but I, li you know, I listen to country. Can I sing a song for you? <laughs> and, and he said, well, sure. And I said, he said, well, I don't listen to country. I was like, well, country and rap, there's not a whole lot of difference, really. I mean, just. <laughs> he said, yes, sing me a song. You got to know when to hold them. You got to know when to fold them. You got to know when to walk away. And there I am in New Orleans on the ninth ward singing Kenny Rogers, the gambler, to this gang member. Why? Because I was attempting to do the work of an evangelist, fulfilling my ministry at the moment God had given me. And my point to all of that is this, your ministry may be different than my ministry. But we have a ministry to make disciples. We have the call to be an evangelist. We have the call to share simple truths in complex times. So fulfill your ministry. 
It may be the ministry of being at a museum one day and inviting someone to church. It may be the you know, ministry of being in disaster relief cleanup one day and singing the gambler to someone. It may be the ministry of pastoral work, life group work, whatever it is, fulfill your ministry because in these complex times, we have simple truths to share. If you think about the times in which we live, we live in a cycle of bad news. Constantly, we are taking bad news into our lives. You turn on Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, you have a 24-hour cycle of bad news. You can hop on Twitter, you can hop on Facebook, you can read your newspaper app, and you see the cycle of bad news. What we are called to do as believers in Christ is break the cycle of bad news with good news of Jesus. We are called to break the cycle of letting people know that you are far from God in sin, but you can come to know God in Jesus We are called to break the cycle of bad news when people are depressed, they are hurting, they have sorrow in their lives. Darkness has overcome them by letting them know that Jesus has died for them, that Jesus has taken their sin and their shame and their grief upon himself. We are to break the cycle of bad news that death does not mean we stay dead, but that we have life in Christ because Christ came back to life. We're to break the cycle of bad news by sharing that Jesus is the one who says, if you turn to me, you find forgiveness, peace, fulfillment, and purpose in me. We're going to sing this song in a moment, and I want you to listen to the chorus. His word shall not fail you. He promised. Believe him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying, his perfect salvation to tell. We turn our eyes We turn our eyes, see the darkness bow to light, and we will rise, and we will rise, for love has overcome the night. This morning, turn your eyes to Christ. This morning, there are simple truths and complex times to share that this Jesus is good. This Jesus is the Savior. This Jesus is the one who lifts our burdens. So this morning, turn your eyes to him.